The views and opinions expressed in this podcast by the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Infinite Campus. We drafted teachers to really manage the technology for each building, and I simply coordinated that at the district office. Sure. Yeah. Like instructional technology coaches, if you will, yeah. something like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But we'd also give them screwdrivers and things. They could go in and work sure. on computers. Get their hands dirty. That nice. needed to be done. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody ever gave me a screwdriver, and that would have been nice. <laughs> I'll send one your. I'll send one your way. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> exactly. Do we have um, that in the Infinite Campus store and Infinite Campus branded screwdriver? Yeah, oh, I don't know. Nice. These days, these days you don't want to open them up. But back then, boy, I mean, you had to build. We built the computers ourselves. Yeah. That was the only way yeah. we could afford them. Hello and welcome to Transforming K-12 Education, an Infinite Campus podcast. I'm your host, Peter Snell. Infinite Campus is a student information system used by 2,000 school districts across 45 states, supporting a total of 8 million students. This podcast explores our corporate mission by diving into our customers' stories and experiences of how they are transforming K-12 for their students, staff, and communities. Today's episode is part two of a two-part series on the role of a technology director in K-12 education. Last time, we heard from founder and CEO, Charlie Cratch, who shared his experience being a technology director in the Centennial School District in Circle Pines, Minnesota, back in 1993, before starting Infinite Campus. Next up, we're going to introduce our special guests, Natasha Monsa-Staley from Edina Public Schools in Minnesota, with approximately 8,400 students, and Kyle Flaherty from Prescott Schools in Wisconsin, with approximately 1,400 students. My name is Kyle Flaherty. I am the tech director for Prescott Schools. Uh, we're a smaller school district right in Wisconsin on the border of Minnesota. And this is my fifth year as the director here, 10th year working in education and education technology. I'm Natasha Monsas-Daly. I'm the director of media and technology at Edina Public Schools in Minnesota. I've been here since July, so almost a year in Edina. I came from a smaller, very small school district before that, where I was also the technology director. What brought you to a career in supporting technology in a school district? I started out as a high school English teacher and I always just had the passion for technology and the way it, it could reach different students in my classroom and the way I could do things that kind of expanded beyond the walls of my classroom. Through that work and through just doing some stuff in my classroom, um, it led me to some district-wide positions and instructional coaching positions where I was just helping other teachers use technology in their classrooms, in their spaces. And it's just something that I love doing. I just saw the impact and the way that we could provide access for all students and kind of set the bar maybe a little bit more even for a lot of our kids, gave them access to resources that they didn't have before and opportunities. And so continued to follow that passion until I, until I got to where I am now of leading a, a much bigger team in education. Did you ever anticipate, you know, as an English teacher that you would end up in the position that you're in right now? I've always wanted to be a director of technology. Like, I think that goal was there. Is it surprising? Not entirely, but in some ways, like how I got here or the path I took to get here. Um, yeah, maybe a little surprising. I love that. Yeah, mine is a little more circuitous. I actually started out working as a corporate trainer for REI, which is an outdoor company, and uh, went and set up stores for them, trained how to use technology. And I actually ended up 
getting into education through a district that was looking to kind of fix their technology department. They needed someone at a building level to actually teach the teachers how to utilize this equipment. You know, slap a smart board on the wall is one thing, but to actually use mm -hmm. it, use it well. And over the course of 10 years, kind of moved out of that role and continued to move up until I became the director here in Prescott. Because we're such a small department, I'm both the director, but also the person that's doing a lot of the tech trainings on a PD day. If you had asked me a decade ago, hey, are you gonna be working in education? I'd be like, not at all. I'm not, I'm not anywhere <laughs> near that. And now I honestly yeah. can't fathom not working in that sphere. Excellent. Even when I was at Centennial in the early 90s, I often joked that there were only two people in the district that had a key to every room and had been in every room in the district, the head custodian and me. So while you think that uh, being a, a technology director or CIO is just all about sitting in an office, when you work in education, it's really getting out in the schools and getting your hands dirty too. Across the country, we're starting to see a fair amount of, of those in the role of technology directors or chief information officers uh, nearing retirement. By comparison, being that the two of you are relatively new, what are some of the challenges that you've faced early on in your tech director roles? I took over for a tech director who had been in this position for decades. One of the biggest challenges early on was replacing a tech director, A, with that much history, but B, grown with technology. I joke with people that when he started, he was in charge of overhead bulbs, and he's just grown with it. So you came into a lot of systems or concepts or workflows that were adopted by necessity or time, but maybe not that were accurate to current technology or how things worked. So as you had that retirement, you had this big culture shock of this young kid coming in and going, hey, some of these things are not great. I give an example that I always tell people, which is about three weeks in, they said, hey, we have this, we need you to post it on the website. It's just a document for summer school, it'll be great. And I didn't think anything of it. I went to open it just to look before I posted it. And I called my director and I said, I can't post this. It's a bus list of where the kids will be in the country and when we'll pick them up. Apparently we do it every year. And I said, this is like highly dangerous. A lot yeah. of those processes that were of the best intention and they worked well, sure, but, they absolutely. Just, but they just weren't, they weren't committing to it. I think for me early on, and hopefully less so, but still kind of happens now, is that siloing between um, instruction and technology. I fundamentally believe in like the, the merging of those two departments and keeping those two things together. And so there are some places where it just is really traditional and technology is technology and it's the hardware and it's the you know infrastructure and it doesn't touch instruction. And if that's not at the forefront of what we're doing, I actually don't know what we're doing, right? So that was definitely a challenge for me early on in my career and you know something that again our district is slowly moving towards but it takes partnerships and it takes intentionality and also i just have to say a big challenge for me as a female of color in technology there just aren't a lot of us right and so i have a lot of great people in my network but finding other people where representation really can be really important um, people that can mentor you and support you. And so now I think for me, the charges, because there's so few of us, like that's a role that I think is really important for me to kind of uphold as I go forward in my career. Yeah, very fair. You know, what you said about technology and instruction being in separate silos, I feel like I hear that very often at the district level and, and often at the, at the state level as well. And I think if, if COVID is taught as anything, that those areas really need to be intertwined with, with one right. another. Kind of like you guys, I took over for somebody who had been running tech in the district 
kind of informally for about 20 years. Although that started off as typewriters and overhead projectors, yep. uh, but then eventually moved into computers. Uh, I was a tech director at the district that I attended. And so this was a teacher that I had, you know, so oh. that, that dates it even more. You know, one of the conversations was where should the tech department reside? Traditionally, it was really part of facilities at the district office. And one of the things I really pushed for was we had a building level kind of tech mentors, but really having them in the curriculum department. Sure. Yeah. Like instructional technology coaches, if you will. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. 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 But we'd also give them screwdrivers and things. They could go in and work sure. on computers. Get their hands dirty. That nice. needed to be done. Yeah. What are some of the biggest successes you've had so far in your technology director tenure? I'm really lucky that I have a super strong team. And so I think, you know, I, I don't know, that's not my success, right? It's their success. But um, having that team and continuing to create that team culture, like, that's really important to me. Mm. Um, I don't know, like I don't have personal successes in that same way. I think there's a lot of, there's just a lot of work to be done. And as long as we continue to do the work and it's the best work for kids, like that's always going to be a success for me. So that's what I'm hanging my hat on. I think you sell yourself short, Natasha. You survive every day of the world of COVID and change. That's a personal success. You're still sitting in that chair. That's a personal success for you, right? I mean, I guess that's a, that is a good thing. Some days I wonder how I am, but I am. (laughs) Exactly. That's a personal success. We had 200 handheld devices when COVID hit. By the time COVID was a year in, we had 2,000. Mm. And our tech department didn't grow. (laughs) The successes are 100% the team. You are absolutely correct. We had amazing people come alongside and just pull with us to go, okay, how are we going to make this happen? How are we going to manage kids? And we leaned on people like Infinite Campus and a lot of other vendors to go, hey, we, we need every resource we can to make this happen because... The department doesn't grow on a dime. And when I do get to add someone or something, it's not like they're an expert immediately. So it's a huge success just to go, oh, wait, we had a challenge. We all banded together. We got through it together. Now let's, let's find what the next one is and let's attack it. I mean, I agree. Like this morning we woke up and power was out at two of our schools and, you know, like our team is on site ready to, I mean, they could do nothing. They're not the power company, but our team's on site ready to do what they can, check the technology, um, support and escort kids into buildings if they needed to be, you know, just it's the little things I think that really are the successes at the end of the day in this role. We understand that sometimes what we do exists in the background and it's the classic magician, uh, the old school a good magician, if you do it well, great, it was awesome. If you do it poorly, everybody knows that you failed the <laughs> trick. Yeah, so it's nice to be able to get out there and just say, hey, we're willing to do anything we need. And that bridges that gap back into curriculum by saying, no, no, we're, we're with you. We're not this separate <laughs> entity. We are, we are part of the team. You know, it's interesting when, when Natasha talked about power being out in the buildings back in the early 90s, when I was a director, I talked about that uh, data information technology was going to become a utility that what we needed to plan for as a district is if we don't have power water or data we have to shut down mm-hmm. and people right. laughed well fast forward here almost 30 years that's exactly the place we're in is yeah, true you, you shut your networks off you shut the computers off it's tough for a school to run absolutely yeah in your opinion, what are still some of the, the improvements that are still needed when it comes to technology in schools? I think we're still struggling to find an ability to reconcile personal accountability and our students with 
electronics and devices, and yet training that digital citizenship and that independence and that ability to become an adult and grow. I, I always joke that like IT lives in this weird world sometimes of being the firewall police. Like the emails I get of like, well, you got to block this site. Well, you got to block that site. We're at the same time asking that same kid to use their phone to track their grades and to get updates from the teacher. So how do we come together to say, well, no, we need to have a plan for how we teach these kids how to live within technology. It is an infrastructure piece, like Charlie just said. Yeah. Of the many things that keep me up at night, um, I think one of those is certainly cybersecurity um, and to keep our infrastructure safe, to keep student data safe. Um, and even on the vendor side of things, like what are vendors doing with student data? Um, you know, obviously there's a lot of private student data privacy legislation going through right now, and it is a huge, important thing. And it's also a financial strain. We are being asked to put money towards cybersecurity, which we know is the right thing to do without the resources to do it. Um, and so that's a big, big concern for me. And the other one that will continue to be until it's fixed is interoperability. Um, how do we get all these systems to talk together? I mean, it is like the bane of my existence. You know, it's like I have, again, a great team that can figure out some workarounds and how to make things talk together and play nicely, um, but it, it isn't always an easy task. And so until we can get all of our systems to do that more seamlessly, that would be fantastic if one day I woke up and that was just the case. The more things change, the more they stay the same, right? Yeah. You know, like you talked about funding, but also just getting systems to talk together and and that right. really was the impetus uh, for me going this direction with a company was saying there are some systems we can connect together and there are others that just really should be the same thing. You know, let's collapse those data systems into a common database. And, and that continues to be kind of a uh, the never ending adventure of how to put all these pieces together and make them work. And Natasha, speaking to your, you can have people that can piece it together, but I joke, we have a, a systems admin that is a programming guru and it's great. But my joke is, if he ever leaves us, I don't know that people realize the house of cards that, you know, like, I have, we have, I have the yeah. same thing. I have a person that I'm like, you're not allowed to leave. We're going to bubble wrap. People. We're going to do whatever we got to do because, the, yes, yeah. the... Yeah. <laughs> I need cybersecurity. I need cybersecurity and life insurance on that guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? Nice. The interoperability piece. Technology is only going to evolve. There are going to be new systems, you know, learning management systems in the K-12 space. You know, that's still relatively new. Technology is just going to continue to evolve. So I feel like we're going to come across those challenges uh, more and more as time goes on. What's your hope for the future? What sort of innovation are you hoping to see in the educational technology space in the years to come? Natasha, I know you talked about representation, obviously important part of the conversation as well. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly one um, piece like that I can walk into like a Minnesota tech leaders meeting and not be one of the few females or not be one of the only people of color. Like I really hope that that changes. And I think that is happening in a lot of classrooms where we're exposing more students to, um, you know, to technology and fields and careers in technology. So, you know, I certainly hope that continues because I think there is one, a wealth of knowledge and opportunity out there. And I would just like to see more people embark on that. I'd also like to just probably or hope for the mindset shift that, you know, technology can fix everything. Um, you know, good instruction is good instruction and it always will be. And we can put all the tools we want in front of people and, and I love them and I will always want to put technology in front of people, but really it's about instruction and it's about kids, right? And about understanding who kids are. And I think during COVID, we relied so much on technology 
that I worry that we forgot about the other piece of it. So I am hopeful that the future kind of lends itself to that. And, and innovation wise, it's just, you know, what opportunities can we create for kids that, that we don't even know about? I think you alluded to this before, Peter, that, you know, technology is changing so quickly, right? And we don't know what's going to be out there in a few years. I don't know what my job's going to look like in a few years. And, right. you know, with the rise of AR and VR in the educational space, it's just like, what are some of those opportunities we don't know about that's going to get our kids in places that they've never before seen? or have some kid just be inspired by something that, you know, they didn't know that they could do, or they didn't know that they could access because of, you know, whatever limitations were, were there before. Wonderful thoughts. I personally am so emotionally connected to the idea that technology should in that instruction, be able to give us more of an individualized approach to how kids learn. I think one of the things that really struck me both from just personal growing up. And then, like you said, through COVID, was that we had students that actually all of a sudden excelled. Now, obviously, then we move back. A lot of kids are great. And then we see those kids potentially regress. So I think technology, as you said, the instruction always needs to be this first and foremost. But what we're learning is you can do that instruction five different ways. And I think technology is starting to allow us to have like, okay, here's a lecture. Here's some reading. Here's a uh, an example that's done by a computer simulation. And I think technology is poised to just really give us all of the tools we need. Now we just need the adoption. Charlie and I had a very similar conversation about this. You know, I'm I'm a former classroom teacher. I taught the elementary level. I saw the need for personalized, individualized instruction. We need to be able to meet students where they're at, where their skills are, what their strengths are, and what their interests are. My hope for the future when it comes to ed tech is that we're able to use technology to identify those things in students and then be able to put those appropriate resources in front of them that will, again, align with their interests, align with their strengths, and help them build those skills that they're going to need to be contributing members of society. I think a big difference today versus 30 years ago I keep stressing that because I'm old. (laughs) I didn't say it. Yeah, I know. You keep looking at me that way. But in any event, uh, the challenge was always the technology side of it. How do we get the computers to do fill in the blank? How do we write software that can do whatever? That side of it's no longer the challenge. Technologically, we can do amazing things. It's the education side. We've got this we've got this toolbox of tools. How do we apply these tools towards the the challenge that we face? And yeah. a lot of it really becomes packaging because you can't just take a tool that teachers are unable or unwilling to use and say you have to use this. And that was a challenge I ran into just with electronic grade books in the early 90s. You know, the teachers were using their red books and they didn't want anybody to know what was happening in there. In every hallway, in every building, I would try to find one teacher I could get to use electronic gradebook. And the way we kind of bribed them was we gave them a new computer. Then I started recruiting parents. The parents would come in and one of the teachers would have online grades, but the others wouldn't. And I would recruit those parents to hassle the other teachers of, you know, Mrs. Johnson has her grades online, why don't you? (laughs) The most powerful force in a school district It's not the superintendent, it's not the school board, it's not the teachers union, it's the parents. You get the parents on your side, that's how true change uh, happens. We've talked about our best selling points in our district is word of mouth. Once you get um, families out there talking about things and talking about systems or talking about uh, procedures and practices, you know, other people want to see it happen too. And that's, 
whether it's good or bad, right? Um, that good or bad conversation, that's going to definitely drive some of the work that we do. Definitely. I want to know, when did you know it was time to move from a project that you were running as a tech director to this needs to be my full-time attention getter? It was always the intent to have that company uh, uh, commercialize the product and go out and sell. A lot of the districts that we got early on were just districts I knew uh, through my relationships with other uh, CIOs and technology directors around the state. It was always with a design of whatever we build at Centennial, we need to be able to use um, at North St. Paul or at Eden Prairie or at Wilmer. And then they would give us new ideas. A new district would come on, like a Watertown mayor or somebody like that, add more. And then we go over to Wisconsin. What do we need to do for Wisconsin or Iowa? And that origin of our company, how we worked and grew from district to district and state to state, really is true today. You know, we talk about in the district, your uh, most powerful uh, supporters are the parents. Uh, for us, it's our customers. It's people like Kyle and Natasha who participate in things like this and work with us in focus groups. That's how we learn what we need to do and how we prioritize uh, everything we do here. And I just love what you said, Charlie, because, it, you know, you're not paying me to say this, obviously, but I think one of the most <laughs> We're not? important Wait a things, um, <laughs> I mean, are you? Just, <laughs> uh, but no, like one of the biggest things for me as a technology director is the relationships that I have with the vendors. Um, I am just really more apt to, to stick with a vendor that I have a relationship with and that, you know, is, is listening and doing these kinds of things. And so I think I've had this experience with campus for several, I've been with campus for as long as I've been in education and always that has been the experience. And I think it's so important as you talk about innovation, the evolution of technology, it, it can't just be the schools doing it alone, right? Or the vendors doing it alone, building products without that, that relationship. And so I just think, I mean, you kind of touched on it just by being in Centennial and being in the district and uh, really immersing yourself in a part of it. And that is just, it's so critical to how we operate are so critical to like my philosophy and how we should operate um, together, right? To do what we, we can for kids. Just like we need great educators, we need strong technology personnel to support schools. Uh, what would you say to someone that's considering a technology career in the K-12 public school system? I would like to see districts have either uh, apprenticeship or mentorship programs where you can have kids who otherwise don't have a lot of opportunities, work with them in the district to teach them those tech skills and give them a career path to come back and work in the district. The biggest thing with education technology is it allows you to pivot your skills in a way that often a, a corporate technology job does not. I've really tried to talk to some of our students that are in our computer classes to say, hey, if you're not entirely sure where you wanna be, Look at education because it's gonna allow you to feel out those avenues. You're doing something for kids, you're doing something for students. It's that opportunity to do something probably that you wouldn't get to experience in another more corporate world. That sense of fulfillment that you get from directly seeing who you're helping. Yeah. And, yep. and that immediate response of it. Well, thank you all of you for your time. This was a great conversation. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed this podcast, go ahead and hit the subscribe button wherever you're tuning in from. If you are an Infinite Campus customer and want to continue the conversation, join us on the moderated forums in the campus community. 
If you want to learn more about Infinite Campus in our student information system, go to www.infinitecampus.com. There you can register for an overview demonstration of Infinite Campus. Again, my name is Peter Snell. Thanks so much for listening to Transforming K-12 Education.